North Carolina changes up their starting lineup, and it's the recipe for success for the rest of the season. No, it's not Groundhog Day or Deja Vu. You didn't travel back to last year in a time machine. It's just that last season's script is happening all over again. You are Locked on Tar Heels, your daily podcast on the UNC Tar Heels, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, it's Monday, January 9th, 2022. I'd like to welcome you into the Locked on Tar Heels podcast, the only daily North Carolina show out there. I'm your host, Isaac Shade, and I want to thank you for making our show your first listener watch every single day. Today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. Again, that's linkedin.com slash locked on college. Post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Coming up on today's show, we're going to get back to unpacking the Carolina women's team's massive home victory over Notre Dame on Sunday. Of course, we're going to unpack the guys' victory over Notre Dame with our Four Corners recap, our shady stat of the game. But first, very seriously, for the second year in a row, it's it's uncanny how this is happening again. An early January injury uh, to, to a Tar Heels starter has given the Tar Heels what I believe is the best version of themselves. Here's what I mean. Last year, January 2nd, Carolina's playing at Boston College. Dawson Garcia has a head injury, you might recall, less than two minutes into the game. Enter Brady Manick into the starting lineup for the rest of the season, and the rest, as you know, is history. This year, January 4th, Pete Nance retweaks his back injury less than two minutes into an early January game. This one's versus Wake Forest. Enter Seth Trimble into the starting lineup for the next game. Obviously, we don't know how this one will play out. We don't even know if it's a rest-of-season change, but at least this uh, close to it, It's a very, very similar script to last season with some important and subtle differences. The major one of those is this. I don't expect it to be like last year where Dawson Garcia kind of, yeah, things go downhill after that. Let's just put it that way. Pete Nance is going to be a major contributor for this team. I guess I should say if and when, because we're we're assuming he'll be back fine. So we'll say when, but there certainly is an if. You you never know with back injuries. Um, If and when he comes back, he will continue to be a major, major contributor to this team. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. Um, the, The question for me is... Is Coach Davis going to continue to roll with this new three-guard lineup as the starting five? I I guess the the three-guard lineup itself isn't new, but using it, obviously, as the starting five is what's new, and that's the question. I obviously can't say what Coach Davis is going to do. We found out, at least in the the first game of Pete Pete Nance's absence, that he would go with the three-guard lineup that had done so well down the stretch against Wake Forest rather than bringing in a Jalen Washington or a Justin McCoy to basically replace uh, Pete Nance one-for-one, if if you know what I mean 
by that. And so, I, I, again, I can't say if Coach Davis is going to use this as his starters, but I will say that I would. I would absolutely use this as my starting five. And let me give you a couple reasons why I would do that. Number one, this is unique. There are not many teams that can or do use such a starting lineup um, that that has this combination of players. There, there are others who do it. Uh, a an, an example you've heard me talk about often recently, obviously, is Baylor, who has a three-guard starting lineup that includes um, upperclassmen, veterans, Adam Flagler and LJ Cryer, along with <laughs> freshman Keontae George. Similar for Carolina. Two experienced returning guards in RJ Davis and Caleb Love, along with freshman Seth Trimble. But not many people, I, I know there's a lot of teams doing the four around one kind of thing. But it's not like three true guard lineup. That's what's very unique about this. So that's number one why I would use it is it's, you know, I wouldn't call it gimmicky, you know, like in a uh, Syracuse zone sort of way or, you know, that kind of thing. But but it is very unique. Number two, I would use this because it's potentially defensively devastating to opponents um, because, Man, what Carolina is able to do, you've already got a really, really good defender, individual defender in Leaky Black. And obviously, you bring in Seth Trimble, who's going to be, is one of the couple best freshman defenders in the country. Another I'd put in that category is Kentucky's Case and Wallace. And man, it's just something different. And, and the, the defense down the stretch against Wake Forest and at times in this game was really what fed Carolina's offense and put them in position to win. A, a, a big part of the reason that Carolina's defense can be so devastating to opponents and why it works is because of Seth Trimble's just shutter sheer strength that he is able to give. Like when he gets switched into the post, he can push those big guys around, just get some center of gravity, some leverage and, and hold his own in there. And he's shown the ability to, to get that verticality and, and do what you need to do. Number three, a reason I would use this unit is good luck pressing them. When you've got the ball handlers in RJ, Caleb, and Seth Trimble out there, not to mention that Leaky Black has obviously been pressed into point guard minutes duty in his time at Carolina and can certainly do it. Um, like what happened against Baylor in the NCAA tournament last year? That ain't happening against this three-guard lineup. Fourth reason it, it clearly cuts down on turnovers, again, because of all those ball handlers. In Carolina's last two games, Wake Forest and then on Saturday against Notre Dame, just nine turnovers and then eight turnovers. So 17 total turnovers in the past two games, eight and a half average. You'll take that. Now, they're going to have games with more, but that is a big deal when you've got this many guards. Number uh, fifth reason I would use it. I, I don't think this is matchup dependent. Some people would say like, Hey, yeah, you could use this starting lineup, but but only against certain other teams. I wouldn't I wouldn't go with that. For me, if I'm Coach Davis, you don't utilize this lineup as your starters just because the matchup calls for it. You make other teams react to you and what you're doing is Carolina. We're going to roll out these three guards and we're going to run you to death. We're going to get the ball into Mondo, let him make plays, um, let the guards dry, all of that kind of stuff. We're going to get to the free throw line. Good luck. You know, like 
I don't think Carolina should be reactionary and say, oh, we're playing this team that's bigger, so we're going to get Pete Nance back in the starting lineup. It's like, no, let's run circles around them. I love it. Keep going. And then the last reason I'll pitch right now to use this starting lineup consistently the rest of the way is this. It both uh, it it does a thing similar to last year, right? Like I know that s- cycling in Seth Trimble into the starting lineup is not like putting Brady Manick into the starting lineup. It's a different player. But one of the things it does is a similar thing to getting Brady Manick in. It opens up the middle. It unclogs things. And that does two very important things. Number one, it gives Armando Baycott more room to operate uh, both in terms of scoring or uh, distributing from his position. And it opens up more driving lanes for the guards. And what does that do? It might draw Armando's defender, leaves him wide open for what he's so great at, offensive rebounds and putbacks. And so that that's another thing is this just opens things up. And that's the kind of offense that Hubert Davis is looking for. And so I think that is a big win. But let's say this, even if you don't use the three guard lineup as your starting five when Pete Nance is back, you have to go to it more often than you previously were. You've seen how dynamic it can be, how helpful it can be to Carolina. You just got to use it more than you already were. I think it should be as the starters, but regardless, you got to use it a lot. So if, if Pete Nance is not a starter, going forward, what is his role? Well, to me at that point, he becomes Armando's primary backup and or plays alongside him at the four when the occasion does call for it. Cause there are certainly going to be times when the occasion calls for having two bigs in the lineup. Pete Nance is a phenomenal basketball player. He makes great decisions, um, great facilitator, all of that kind of stuff. So keep in mind, putting like substituting these two guys, putting Trimble in the starting lineup, over Pete Nance, hear me say this loud and clear. This is not about Pete Nance. This is not against Pete Nance. This is not saying that Pete Nance is bad or not a good basketball player. Pete Nance is a fantastic basketball player. So it's not about him. What it is about is finding the best five-man combination for this year's team. And for right now, Seth Trimble gives that to Hubert Davis, the best five-man combination for this team, right? So like, look at it. Essentially, Carolina was just trying to plug and play what they found last year in Manic, along with these other four starters. It's just not working the same way it did with Manic for some of the reasons we just uh, iterated a second ago. With Seth Trimble in as that other spot, it's not the same lineup as last year, clearly but it works best right now for this unit. And so here's here's the great news about that. Nance, Pete Nance is here to do whatever he's got to do to win and to make the NCAA tournament. And so if that means coming off the bench, so be it. He'll say yes, sir, and he'll be a great teammate about it the whole time. That's something that is a major difference from last year's switcheroo. I'll just leave it at that. You hear what I'm saying, that Pete Nance is going to be a great teammate regardless of what he's asked to do. And also, by the way, I think this means more bench minutes because um, regardless of whether Pete or Seth is starting, you got six guys who should be getting 25-ish minutes a game. Plus, I think Puff Johnson should be getting 15 to 20 a game. Uh, DeMarco Dunn, you know, in that 10-minute a game. And then get some of these other guys more time as well. And so all of that to me is very, very important. So 
Go with Seth Trimble. Go with this three-guard lineup. I love it, and I think it puts Carolina in the best position to win this season. Coming up next, our Four Corners recap, my favorite part, coming out of each game along with our shady stat of the game. That'll come up in just a minute. But first, this episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. As a small business owner or hiring manager, you know that success in 23 all depends on the team members you surround yourself with. That's why you got to check out LinkedIn Jobs, which can help you hire qualified candidates more efficiently by matching open roles with people who have the skills, value, and experiences to help you achieve your goals. It can, LinkedIn Jobs can help you quickly attract qualified candidates to your openings with targeting tools. You can identify those candidates on LinkedIn Jobs and connect them fast and for free. LinkedIn Jobs also helps make it easy to screen and rate applicants based on your qualifications all there on one platform. You want to achieve your business goals in 2023 and hiring the right team member might help you achieve exactly that. That's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus the leading competitors. So LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the quality candidates you want to talk to faster. So please post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. Again, that's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, friends, our four corners recap. This is something we do um, every single uh, post-game recap where we give an homage to Coach Dean Smith and his famed offense, the four corners. This will be four things that I thought were chiefly important in this game. Number one, it's kind of similar to the uh, starting five switcheroo talk. Um, this, I think, is the second biggest thing that Carolina has been doing better that has aided their play of late. And that is our first four-corner thing, is playing more consistently through Armando Baycott. In a, so in addition to, to, to that personnel switch, making Mondo the focal point, like that's a big deal. We just talked about more room for him to operate. And so these two things honestly go hand in hand, um, playing through him and, um, excuse me, pl playing through him and giving him more room to operate, which is what, again, I think that Trimble in the starting lineup does. So here's what Carolina has been doing. They've been more committed to getting him the ball and allowing him to be a playmaker for the Tar Heels, even as opponents are focused on stopping him. Carolina is not necessarily getting away from using that great screen and roll action with he and RJ Davis, but they are finding more post-touch opportunities for him. And so like in this game against Notre Dame, 21 points, 13 rebounds and four assists. So for Mondo, you've heard me talk about this. This is now five straight games of 20 plus points. That consistency is insane. And it's not just because he's doing well. It's because his teammates are so much more committed to getting him the ball. But it's not just that. It's not just the scoring. It's not just him um, getting the ball in the post and making scoring moves. It's his passing. It's his awareness. All these things have gotten better too. Um, he is he's slowing down appropriately letting things develop, making passes to cutters as necessary, faking passing passes to cutters as necessary, finding kickouts on the wing, uh, posting and reposting as necessary, any of this kind of stuff. All that leads to past three games, Armando's averaging four assists 
per game. We're going to dive much deeper into that on tomorrow's show, on Tuesday's show. Just want to look more in depth at all the ways Carolina is playing through him. Um, but man, the, the way he is not only scoring, but facilitating and handling double teams. Uh, Notre Dame sent several hard double teams at him and he was ready to respond as necessary, whether that was stepping out of the double team, just resetting up top, whether that was um, going to the opposite corner to find Caleb Love for an open three like he did to start the game, um, whether it's finding Puff Johnson, whatever, like multiple plays where he made great decisions as double team came. Uh, I, I said it on Saturday in our live postcast that he's got to do that all again tomorrow night on Tuesday night at Virginia because they're going to double and double and double and double. Just be ready for that. So anyway, Armando Baycott playing through him is a major and massive thing Carolina is doing to help get themselves on the right track. I think it's the second biggest thing outside of this personnel switch that's helping the Tar Heels. Number two on our four corners recap is the bench production. Carolina in this game had 22 points off the bench. And it's not just that they scored 22 points the bench. They did it efficiently. 8 of 12 shooting from the field. That's 66.7%. 3 of 6 from 3. So made 50% from the 3-point line. Did the bench. That's 2 from Puff and 1 from DeMarco Dunn there. Uh, Puff Johnson had the most points of the bench players. 11 to lead the way there. It was also good to see more minutes from him after multiple games of having like he had four minutes against Wake Forest. So good to see him back in the 20s in this game. Number three on our four corners recap is the three-point shooting in this game for both teams. Coming into this game, it's Notre Dame that's the team you expect to, like Carolina has struggled guarding Notre Dame's three-point attack in recent years under Mike Bray because they'll spread you. All five guys can shoot. It's that kind of thing. Led the past two meetings by Nate Leshevsky, who has made over five threes a game in those past couple games. And so Carolina was was I, I was nervous for this, especially assuming that Armando was going to be guarding him and just frankly doesn't have the mobility to stay with Leshevsky, who again, I wish had come to be a Tar Heel. It'd be great. But anyway, so Notre Dame comes in as the team you expect to be the three-point shooting, shooting team of these two, but that script was flipped because Carolina both took and made more threes than did Notre Dame. It was close. Carolina was 8 of 19, Notre Dame 7 of 18. But Carolina made more and took more. It was a great defensive strategy from Coach Davis in terms of the Notre Dame side of things. Notre Dame comes in averaging 23.2 attempts per game and 8.8 .8 makes per game. Carolina held them under both of those totals. Basically, in terms of attempts, Carolina was committed to running Notre Dame off the three-point line and then force it like, hey, we're going to live with you taking twos inside the arc. We feel like we can contest those well. We just don't want to allow you to just camp out and shoot threes all afternoon long. And they didn't, and they couldn't. Most importantly, going back to the Nate Leshevsky of it all, he only took and made one three. And so limiting that is super big time. Carolina, meanwhile, you know, starting to come alive a little bit. Not, I'm not saying they're they're in great territory, but shooting better. In particular, R.J. Davis. We're going to talk more about that also on Tuesday's show in addition to going deeper on Armando. And then the fourth of our Four Corners recap, I just want to point out this, this game is a great example, a great reminder 
of Leaky Black's impact on a college basketball game. Part of what makes him so insanely pivotal to this team is that he can make winning plays in such a variety of ways. Against um, Wake Forest on Wednesday night, career-high 18 points. Ridiculous, right? Well, in this game, we've got seven minutes left. The, the game is 33 minutes old, and he has not scored yet. He did finish with four points, but all four of them were in the final to uh, final seven minutes of the game. But you know what he did do in addition to those four points? Seven rebounds, three assists, zero turnovers, two blocks, and two steals. That is how you fill up the stat sheet. Oh, and by the way, the things that he does that you don't see on the stat sheet, that defense that he plays, not it's not just about the blocks and steals with him. As you well know, it's about positioning and getting ready and all of that kind of stuff. Love to see it from Leaky Black. And can't wait to see, as always, how Coach Davis will deploy him against Virginia on Tuesday night. All right, shady stat of the game. You ready for this? Let's go back to Armando Baycott. You probably know this, but I just want to make sure. He has now moved into second place. He passed the great Sam Perkins for second place on Carolina's all-time career rebounding list. He has 1,169, which puts him exactly 50 rebounds shy of tying Tyler Hansborough for the Carolina career record, and he's on pace to do it in fewer games than Psycho T himself did. By the way, just projecting out a little bit, Armando would have to step up his rebounds per game average ever so slightly, but he could set the record against NC State at home two weeks from now. <laughs> That's four games away. And so it's very doable, uh, but just stay tuned for that. Coming up in just a second, Carolina women finally broke their four-game winning streak, but it was against an unexpected opponent and one that you probably didn't see coming. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But first, this episode is brought to you by Bet online which is your number one source for sports betting info stats news and analysis get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there from pro football which is about to start the playoffs to the college bowl season tonight is the national championship game to basketball they've got it all at betonline.net make sure to check out the line for tomorrow's game at virginia BetOnline is always the fastest and easiest way to get all your betting info. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about all the trends in action. BetOnline, where the game starts. Whoo, the women. Boy, howdy. Listen, you probably heard it in my voice last week as we got ready for this Notre Dame game on Friday show. I wasn't, I wouldn't say I was worried about the, the women's basketball team, but Man, after that 9-1 start, the lone loss was to at number 5 Indiana. The Tar Heels had lost four straight, and they were staring down Notre Dame, their third top five opponent this season already. And so I was like, man, I, again, I'm not worried about them. They're going to get right, but the ACC is tough. And at this point, you're starting to take on losses that affect seeding. And so it's like <sighs> very understandable if Coach Courtney Banghart's team uh, Coach Courtney Banghart's team, excuse me, if their four-game losing streak turns into a five-game losing streak. Um, you, you can excuse them, right, if that happens against the number four team in the nation, even though it is at home. Because you look at these losses in the four-game losing streak, all of them are top 50 in the net. Michigan's number 20, FSU 15, at Virginia Tech number 17. Miami's the only one of the bunch where it's like, 
uh, you really shouldn't lose to them. I mean, it's understandable that you could. It's their road games in the conference are always difficult, but still. Um, then that brings you to uh, this this potential fifth loss in a row against Notre Dame, who is, you know, uh, right now a, a number one seed if we started the NCAA tournament today. But this team is resilient. They are experienced, they are talented, and they believe in themselves. And most importantly, this team is a team. And so did four losses turn into five? It most certainly did not. And if you looked at the box score and you saw that Deja Kelly shot four of 16 in this game, Kennedy Todd Williams shot three of 12, and Eva Hodgson 0 of 4, you might have expected to look at the score and expected a four-game losing streak to turn into a five-game losing streak. But you know what? Alyssa Utsby, she was 5 of 10, and perhaps most importantly, Paulina Paris, the sole freshman on the team who we've been talking about, has been gaining more and more trust, more and more playing time in pivotal moments. She continues to gain more and more trust. She scores a team-high 16 in this one on an efficient 6 of 9 shooting and 3 of 4 from 3. Massive. And so, because of those kind of efforts four-game losing streak did not turn into five. And also, this was not some miracle comeback buzzer beater situation. This was a team taking care of business, had a big third quarter to get them the lead back and overcome a halftime deficit. Carolina led 13-7 to after the first quarter, um, but then got doubled up in the second quarter and so trailed 25-22 at halftime. But it's that second half, man. They won the third quarter, they won the fourth quarter, and finished with a 10-point lead. Speaking of Paris, by the way, scored the first 11 points for the Tar Heels in the fourth quarter. And then uh, Deja Kelly helped salt it away at the free throw line. And Carolina does what they need to do to hold serve at home. Massive. And so four-game losing streak did not turn into five. But here's the thing now. You have to keep it going. You got to follow it up because they're at Virginia on Thursday, another road game. You got to go get this one. And then it's back-to-back rivalry games, State and Duke back-to-back. Both teams are currently ranked. You got to go out and get these wins. So massive win over Notre Dame. And now come back home, get ready, get ready for Thursday night, go to Charlottesville, and let's get two wins in Charlottesville this week, both the men's and the women's team. Now, before we get out of here on today's show, we got to have a little bit of football talk. Three different things we got to make sure to hit on. Number one is very Carolina related. You might have been aware, but maybe not. Sam Howell had his first ever not only start, but playing time um, uh, for Washington on Sunday against the Cowboys. And so this is kind of a big time game. You know, the Cowboys have been really good this year. Um, and so getting out there for the commander's first career start, he leads Sam Howell leads the commanders to a win over Dallas. He was, you know, I mean, nothing flashy, 11 of 19, 169 yards, but had a touchdown pass, just one interception, um, and had, uh, on the ground five for 35 and a rushing touchdown. And so the, the neat thing was, um, Dallas had muffed a punt 
And so the, the touchdown pass was his first career pass. Sam Howell's first career NFL pass was a touchdown to Terry McLaurin, who then promptly threw it into the stands. And so I don't even know if they were able to get it back or what they did, but hopefully Sam Howell gets his first touchdown uh, pass back and he can keep it for posterity, but then had that rushing touchdown. You love to see it. Way to go, Sam Howell. Keep it going. Have a great offseason. Can't wait to see what happens in year two. Second thing, if for those of you watching, you're probably seeing that I'm wearing a Georgia Bulldogs uh, t-shirt today. Uh, if you've never heard me talk about it, I'm actually from the Atlanta area is where I grew up on the south side of Atlanta. Um, I actually grew up not liking the Georgia Bulldogs, but the majority of my family are Bulldogs fans. And so now that I don't live in, in Atlanta anymore... Um, it's just become, I've kind of adopted it and cheer for the Bulldogs because it helps me feel like I'm connected back to home and connected to my family who doesn't live close to me either. And so, man, I, I don't know who you'll be cheering for in tonight's national championship game, but I got the Georgia Bulldogs winning back-to-back -back national championships. And then the third thing, uh, as we're talking about football, I, I don't know if you are a sentimental or emotional person, but I am, I, as a being a father has really made me like overly emotional at the drop of a hat, the snap of a finger, <clears throat> but what a neat story for the bills to take back the opening kickoff for a touchdown today in the first play back after the injury on Monday night football last week. I mean, and then, and then beating the Patriots winning the game just, special stuff there the 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 way this story has unfolded for Demar Hamlin and, and his family and um that that whole um Bill's community is just really something cool and special and so sports just write stories that are so unexpected but so unbelievably cool and so what a what a special moment that was I was um getting ready to drive home from church and I looked at my phone and it's just blowing up with all everything like did you see the opening kick and so just neat stuff there and, and love to see this story continue to unfold and uh man great stuff can't wait to follow as as Demar Hamlin um hopefully and prayerfully continues to recover. Well, friends, that's it for today's episode of Locked on Tar Heels. Coming up tomorrow, we will get you prepared and previewed for the Virginia game. As I said, we're going to go a little bit more in depth on Armando and how the Tar Heels have been playing more through him. You can follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Heels. Follow me at Isaac Shade. You can also send the show an email at LockedOnTarHeels at gmail.com. We'd love for you to go ahead and be submitting your nominations for this week's Heel of the Week and Heel of the Week. That'll be on Friday's show as always. Don't forget to subscribe, hit the like button, and comment on the show. would love to hear your thoughts. And by the way, would love for you to make Locked On College Basketball your second listen of the day. It's a brand new show for us here at the Locked On Network, and yours truly is one of the two co-hosts of the show. So we'd love for you to check that out as we're getting deeper into the college basketball season. Thanks so much for spending your Monday hanging out with me, talking Carolina basketball, both men's and women's. Great stuff there. Wins for both teams this weekend. Hopefully we'll get two more in Charlottesville this week. I want to remind you that it is always a great day to be a Tar Heel, right? Yes. Until tomorrow, peace. Peace.